chapter five of the fathers of the constitution by max Rand. this librivox recording is in the public domain darkness before dawn john fisk summed up the prevailing impression of the government of the confederation in the title to his volume the critical period of american history the period of five years says fisk following the peace of seventeen eighty three was the most critical moment in all the history of the american people the dangers from which we were saved in seventeen eighty eight were even greater than were the dangers from which we were saved in eighteen sixty five perhaps the plight of the confederation was not so desperate as he would have us believe but it was desperate enough two incidents occurring between the signing of the preliminary terms of peace and the definitive treaty revealed the danger in which the country stood the main body of continental troops made up of militiamen and short-term volunteers always prone to mutinous conduct was collected at newburgh on the hudson watching the british in new york word might come at any day that the treaty had been signed and the army did not wish to be disbanded until certain matters had been settled primarily the question of their pay the officers had been promised half pay for life but nothing definite had been done toward carrying out the promise the soldiers had no such hope to encourage them and their pay was sadly in arrears in december seventeen eighty two the officers at newburgh drew up an address in behalf of themselves and their men and sent it to congress therein they made the threat thinly veiled of taking matters into their own hands unless their grievances were redressed there is reason to suppose that back of this movement or at least in sympathy with it were some of the strongest men in civil as in military life who while not fomenting insurrection were willing to bring pressure to bear on congress and the states congress was unable or unwilling to act and in march seventeen eighty three a second paper this time anonymous was circulated urging the men not to disband until the question of pay had been settled and recommending a meeting of officers on the following day if washington's influence was not counted upon it was at least hoped that he would not interfere but as soon as he learned of what had been done he issued general orders calling for a meeting of officers on a later day thus superseding the irregular meeting that had been suggested on the day appointed the commander-in-chief appeared and spoke with so much warmth and feeling that his little address drew tears from many of the officers he inveighed against the unsigned paper and against the methods that were talked of for they would mean the disgrace of the army and he appealed to the patriotism of the officers promising his best efforts in their behalf the effect was so strong that when washington withdrew resolutions were adopted unanimously expressing their loyalty and their faith in the justice of congress and denouncing the anonymous circular the general apprehension was not diminished by another incident in june some eighty troops of the pennsylvania line in camp at lancaster marched to philadelphia and drew up before the state house where congress was sitting their purpose was to demand better treatment and the payment of what was owed to them so far it was an orderly demonstration although not in keeping 
with military regulations in fact the men had broken away from camp under the lead of non-commissioned officers but when they had been stimulated by drink the disorder became serious the humiliating feature of the situation was that congress could do nothing even in self-protection they appealed to the pennsylvania authorities and when assistance was refused the members of congress in alarm fled in the night and three days later gathered in the college building in princeton congress became the butt of many jokes but men could not hide the chagrin they felt that their government was so weak the feeling deepened into shame when the helplessness of congress was displayed before the world weeks and even months passed before a quorum could be obtained to ratify the treaty recognizing the independence of the united states and establishing peace even after the treaty was supposed to be in force the states disregarded its provisions and congress could do nothing more than utter ineffective protests but most humiliating of all the british maintained their military posts within the northwestern territory ceded to the united states and congress could only request them to retire the americans pride was hurt and their pockets were touched as well for an important issue at stake was the control of the lucrative fur trade so resentment grew into anger but the british held on and the united states was powerless to make them withdraw to make matters worse the confederation for want of power to levy taxes was facing bankruptcy and congress was unable to devise ways and means to avert a crisis the second continental congress had come into existence in seventeen seventy five it was made up of delegations from the various colonies appointed in more or less irregular ways and had no more authority than it might assume and the various colonies were willing to concede yet it was the central body under which the revolution had been inaugurated and carried through to a successful conclusion had this congress grappled firmly with the financial problem and forced through a system of direct taxation the subsequent woes of the confederation might have been mitigated and perhaps averted in their enthusiasm over the declaration of independence the people by whom is meant the articulate class consisting largely of the governing and commercial elements would probably have accepted such a usurpation of authority but with their lack of experience it is not surprising that the delegates to congress did not appreciate the necessity of such radical action and so were unwilling to take the responsibility for it they counted upon the goodwill and support of their constituents which simmered down to a reliance upon voluntary grants from the states in response to appeals from congress these desultory grants proved to be so unsatisfactory that in seventeen eighty one even before the articles of confederation had been ratified congress asked for a grant of additional power to levy a duty of five per cent ad valorem upon all goods imported into the united states the revenue from which was to be applied to the discharge of the principal and interest on debts contracted for supporting the present war twelve states agreed but rhode island after some hesitation finally rejected the measure in november seventeen eighty two the articles of confederation authorized a system of requisitions apportioned among the several states in proportion to the value of all land within each state but as there was no power vested in congress to force the states to comply the situation was in no way improved when the articles were ratified and put into operation in fact matters grew worse as congress itself steadily lost ground in popular estimation until it had become little better than a laughing-stock and with the ending of the war its requests were more honored in the breach 
than in the observance in seventeen eighty two congress asked for eight million dollars and the following year for two million dollars more but by the end of seventeen eighty three less than one million five hundred thousand dollars had been paid in in the same year seventeen eighty three congress made another attempt to remedy the financial situation by proposing the so-called revenue amendment according to which a specific duty was to be laid upon certain articles and a general duty of five per cent ad valorem upon all other goods to be in operation for twenty-five years in addition to this it was proposed that for the same period of time one million five hundred thousand dollars annually should be raised by requisitions and the definite amount for each state was specified until the rule of the confederation could be carried into practice it was then proposed that the article providing for the proportion of requisition should be changed so as to be based not upon land values but upon population in estimating which slaves should be counted at three-fifths of their number in the course of three years thereafter only two states accepted the proposals in full seven agreed to them in part and four failed to act at all congress in despair then made a further representation to the states upon the critical condition of the finances and accompanied this with an urgent appeal which resulted in all the states except new york agreeing to the proposed impost but the refusal of one state was sufficient to block the whole measure and there was no further hope for a treasury that was practically bankrupt in five years congress had received less than two and one-half million dollars from requisitions and for the fourteen months ending january one seventeen eighty six the income was at the rate of less than three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars a year which was not enough as a committee of congress reported for the bare maintenance of the federal government on the most economical establishment and in time of profound peace in fact the income was not sufficient even to meet the interest on the foreign debt in the absence of other means of obtaining funds congress had resorted early to the unfortunate expedient of issuing paper money based solely on the good faith of the states to redeem it this fiat money held its value for some little time then it began to shrink and once started on the downward path its fall was rapid congress tried to meet the emergency by issuing paper in increasing quantities until the inevitable happened the paper money ceased to have any value and practically disappeared from circulation jefferson said that by the end of seventeen eighty one one thousand dollars of continental scrip was worth about one dollar in specie the states had already issued paper money of their own and their experience ought to have taught them a lesson but with the coming of hard times after the war they once more proposed by issuing paper to relieve the scarcity of money which was commonly supposed to be one of the principal evils of the day in seventeen eighty five and seventeen eighty six paper money parties appeared in almost all the states in some of these the conservative element was strong enough to prevent action but in others the movement had to run its fatal course the futility of what they were doing should have been revealed to all concerned by proposals seriously made that the paper money which was issued should depreciate at a regular rate each year until it should finally disappear the experience of rhode island is not to be regarded as typical of what was happening throughout the country but is indeed rather to be considered as exceptional yet it attracted widespread attention and revealed to anxious observers the dangers to which the country was subject if the existing condition of affairs were allowed to continue the machinery of the state government was captured by the paper money party in the spring election of seventeen eighty six the results were disappointing to the adherents of the paper money cause for when the money was issued depreciation began at once 
and those who tried to pay their bills discovered that a heavy discount was demanded in response to indignant demands the legislature of rhode island passed an act to force the acceptance of paper money under penalty and thereupon tradesmen refused to make any sales at all some closed their shops others tried to carry on business by exchange of wares the farmers then retaliated by refusing to sell their produce to the shopkeepers and general confusion and acute distress followed it was mainly a quarrel between the farmers and the merchants but it easily grew into a division between town and country and there followed a whole series of town meetings and county conventions the old line of cleavage was fairly well represented by the excommunication of a member of st john's episcopal church of providence for tendering bank-notes and the expulsion of a member of the society of the cincinnati for a similar cause the contest culminated in the case of trevitt versus whedon seventeen eighty six which is memorable in the judicial annals of the united states the legislature not being satisfied with ordinary methods of enforcement had provided for the summary trial of offenders without a jury before a court whose judges were removable by the assembly and were therefore supposedly subservient to its wishes in the case in question the superior court boldly declared the enforcing act to be unconstitutional and for their contumacious behaviour the judges were summoned before the legislature they escaped punishment but only one of them was re-elected to office meanwhile disorders of a more serious sort which startled the whole country occurred in massachusetts it is doubtful if a satisfactory explanation ever will be found at least one which will be universally accepted as to the causes and origin of shays rebellion in seventeen eighty six some historians maintain that the uprising resulted primarily from a scarcity of money from a shortage in the circulating medium that while the eastern counties were keeping up their foreign trade sufficiently at least to bring in enough metallic currency to relieve the stringency and could also use various forms of credit the western counties had no such remedy others are inclined to think that the difficulties of the farmers in western massachusetts were caused largely by the return to normal conditions after the extraordinarily good times between seventeen seventy six and seventeen eighty and that it was the discomfort attending the process that drove them to revolt another explanation reminds one of present-day charges against undue influence of high financial circles when it is insinuated and even directly charged that the rebellion was fostered by conservative interests who were trying to create a public opinion in favour of a more strongly organised government whatever other causes there may have been the immediate source of trouble was the enforced payment of indebtedness which to a large extent had been allowed to remain in abeyance during the war this postponement of settlement had not been merely for humanitarian reasons it would have been the height of folly to collect when the currency was greatly depreciated but conditions were supposed to have been restored to normal with the cessation of hostilities and creditors were generally inclined to demand payment these demands coinciding with the heavy taxes drove the people of western massachusetts into revolt feeling ran high against lawyers who prosecuted suits for creditors and this antagonism was easily transferred to the courts in which the suits were brought the rebellion in massachusetts accordingly took the form of a demonstration against the courts a paper was carried from town to town in the county of worcester in which the signers promised to do their utmost to prevent the sitting of the inferior court of common pleas for the county or of any other court that should attempt to take property by distress 
the massachusetts legislature adjourned in july seventeen eighty six without remedying the trouble and also without authorizing an issue of paper money which the hard-pressed debtors were demanding in the months following mobs prevented the courts from sitting in various towns a special session of the legislature was then called by the governor but when that special session had adjourned on the eighteenth of november it might just as well have never met it had attempted to remedy various grievances and had made concessions to the malcontents but it had also passed measures to strengthen the hands of the governor this only seemed to inflame the rioters after the lower courts a move was made against the state supreme court and plans were laid for a concerted movement against the cities in the eastern part of the state civil war seemed imminent the insurgents were led by daniel shays an officer in the army of the revolution and the party of law and order was represented by governor james bowdoin who raised some four thousand troops and placed them under the command of general benjamin lincoln the time of year was unfortunate for the insurgents especially as december was unusually cold and there was a heavy snowfall shays could not provide stores and equipment and was unable to maintain discipline a threatened attack on cambridge came to naught for when preparations were made to protect the city the rebels began a disorderly retreat and in the intense cold and deep snow they suffered severely and many died from exposure the centre of interest then shifted to springfield where the insurgents were attempting to seize the united states arsenal the local militia had already repelled the first attacks and the appearance of general lincoln with his troops completed the demoralization of shays army the insurgents retreated but lincoln pursued relentlessly and broke them up into small bands which then wandered about the country preying upon the unfortunate inhabitants when spring came most of them had been subdued or had been taken refuge in the neighboring states shays rebellion was fairly easily suppressed even though it required the shedding of some blood but it was the possibility of further outbreaks that destroyed men's peace of mind there were similar disturbances in other states and there the massachusetts insurgents found sympathy support and finally a refuge when the worst was over and governor bowdoin applied to the neighboring states for help in capturing the last of the refugees rhode island and vermont failed to respond to the extent that might have been expected of them the danger therefore of the insurrection spreading was a cause of deep concern this feeling was increased by the impotence of congress the government had sufficient excuse for intervention after the attack upon the national arsenal in springfield congress indeed began to raise truth but did not dare to admit its purpose and offered as a pretext an expedition against the northwestern indians the rebellion was over before any assistance could be given the inefficiency of congress and its lack of influence were evident like the disorders in rhode island shays rebellion in massachusetts helped to bring about a reaction and strengthen the conservative movement for reform these untoward happenings however were only symptoms the causes of the trouble lay far deeper this fact was recognized even in rhode island for at least one of the conventions had passed resolutions declaring that in considering the condition of the whole country what particularly concerned them was the condition of trade paradoxical as it may seem the trade and commerce of the country were already on the upward grade and prosperity was actually returning but prosperity is usually a process of slow growth and is seldom recognized by the community at large until it is well established far-sighted men forecast the coming of good times in advance of the rest of the community and prosper accordingly the majority of the people know that prosperity has come only when it is unmistakably present and some are not aware of it until it has begun to go if that be true in our day much more was it true in the eighteenth century when means of communication were so poor that it took days for a message to go from boston to new york 
in weeks for news to get from boston to charleston it was a period of adjustment and as we look back after the event we can see that the american people were adapting themselves with remarkable skill to the new conditions but that was not so evident to the men who were feeling the pinch of hard times and when all the attendant circumstances some of which have been described are taken into account it is not surprising that commercial depression should be one of the strongest influences in and the immediate occasion of bringing men to the point of willingness to attempt some radical changes the fact needs to be reiterated that the people of the united states were largely dependent upon agriculture and other forms of extractive industry and that markets for the disposal of their goods were an absolute necessity some of the states especially new england and the middle states were interested in the carrying trade but all were concerned in obtaining markets on account of jealousy interstate trade continued a precarious existence and by no means sufficed to dispose of the surplus products so that foreign markets were necessary the people were especially concerned for the establishment of the old trade with the west india islands which had been the mainstay of their prosperity in colonial times and after the british government in seventeen eighty three restricted that trade to british vessels many people in the united states were attributing hard times to british malignancy the only action which seemed possible was to force great britain in particular but other foreign countries as well to make such trade agreements as the prosperity of the united states demanded the only hope seemed to lie in a commercial policy of reprisal which would force other countries to open their markets to american goods retaliation was the dominating idea in the foreign policy of the time so in seventeen eighty four congress made a new recommendation to the states prefacing it with an assertion of the importance of commerce saying the fortune of every citizen is interested in the success thereof for it is the constant source of wealth and incentive to industry and the value of our produce and our land must ever rise or fall in proportion to the prosperous or adverse state of trade and after declaring that great britain had adopted regulations destructive of our commerce with her west india islands it was further asserted unless the united states in congress assembled shall be vested with powers competent to the protection of commerce they can never command reciprocal advantages in trade it was therefore proposed to give to congress for fifteen years the power to prohibit the importation or exportation of goods at american ports except in vessels owned by the people of the united states or by the subjects of foreign governments having treaties of commerce with the united states this was simply a request for authorization to adopt navigation acts but the individual states were too much concerned with their own interests and did not or would not appreciate the rights of the other states or the interests of the union as a whole and so the commercial amendment of seventeen eighty four suffered the fate of all other amendments proposed to the articles of confederation in fact only two states accepted it it usually happens that some minor occurrence almost unnoticed at the time leads directly to the most important consequences and an incident in domestic affairs started the chain of events in the united states that ended in the reform of the federal government the rivalry and jealousy among the states had brought matters to such a pass that either congress must be vested with adequate powers or the confederation must collapse but the articles of confederation provided no remedy and it had been found that amendments to that instrument could not be obtained it was necessary therefore to proceed in some extra-legal fashion the articles of confederation specifically forbade treaties or alliances between the states unless approved by congress yet virginia and maryland in seventeen eighty five had come to a working agreement regarding the use of the potomac river which was the boundary line between them commissioners representing both parties had met at alexandria and soon adjourned to mount vernon where they not only reached an amicable settlement 
of the immediate questions before them but also discussed the larger subjects of duties and commercial matters in general when the maryland legislature came to act on the report it proposed that pennsylvania and delaware should be invited to join with them in formulating a common commercial policy virginia then went one step farther and invited all the other states to send commissioners to a general trade convention and later announced annapolis as the place of meeting and set that time for september seventeen eighty six this action was unconstitutional and was so recognized for james madison notes that from the legislative journals of virginia it appears that a vote to apply for a sanction of congress was followed by a vote against the communication of the compact to congress and he mentions other similar violations of the central authority that this did not attract more attention was probably due to the public interest being absorbed just at that time by the paper money agitation then to the men concerned seem to have been willing to avoid publicity their purposes are well brought out in a letter of m louis otto french charge d'affaires written on october tenth seventeen eighty six to the comte de vergennes minister for foreign affairs though their motives may be somewhat misinterpreted although there are no nobles in america there is a class of men denominated gentlemen who by reason of their wealth their talents their education their families or the offices they hold aspire to a pre-eminence which the people refuse to grant them and although many of these men have betrayed the interests of their order to gain popularity there reigns among them a connection so much the more intimate as they almost all of them dread the efforts of the people to despoil them of their possessions and moreover they are creditors and therefore interested in strengthening the government and watching over the execution of the laws these men generally pay very heavy taxes while the small proprietors escape the vigilance of the collectors the majority of them being merchants it is for their interest to establish the credit of the united states and europe on a solid foundation by the exact payment of debts and to grant to congress powers extensive enough to compel the people to contribute for this purpose the attempt my lord has been vain by pamphlets and other publications to spread notions of justice and integrity and to deprive the people of a freedom which they have so misused by proposing a new organization of the federal government all minds would have been revolted circumstances ruinous to the commerce of america have happily arisen to furnish the reformers with a pretext for introducing innovations they represented to the people that the american name had become opprobrious among all the nations of europe that the flag of the united states was everywhere exposed to insults and annoyance the husbandman no longer able to export his produce freely would soon be reduced to want it was high time to retaliate and to convince foreign powers that the united states would not with impunity suffer such a violation of the freedom of trade but that strong measures could be taken only with the consent of the thirteen states and that congress not having the necessary powers it was essential to form a general assembly instructed to present to congress the plan for its adoption and to point out the means of carrying it into execution the people generally discontented with the obstacles in the way of commerce and scarcely suspecting the secret motives of their opponents ardently embraced this measure and appointed commissioners who were to assemble at annapolis in the beginning of september the authors of this proposition had no hope nor even desire to see the success of this assembly of commissioners which was only intended to prepare a question much more important than that of commerce the measures were so well taken that at the end of september no more than five states were represented at annapolis and the commissioners from the northern states tarried several days at new york in order to retard their arrival the states which assembled after having waited nearly three weeks separated under the pretext that they were not in sufficient numbers to enter on business 
and to justify this dissolution they addressed to the different legislatures and to congress a report the translation of which i have the honour to enclose to you among these men denominated gentlemen to whom the french charge d'affaires alludes was james madison of virginia he was one of the younger men unfitted by temperament and physique to be a soldier who yet had found his opportunity in the revolution graduating in seventeen seventy one from princeton where tradition tells of the party took in patriotic demonstrations on the campus characteristic of students then as now he had thrown himself heart and soul into the american cause he was a member of the convention to frame the first state constitution for virginia in seventeen seventy six and from that time on because of his ability he was an important figure in the political history of his state and of his country he was largely responsible for bringing about the conference between virginia and maryland and for the subsequent steps resulting in the trade convention at annapolis and yet madison seldom took a conspicuous part preferring to remain in the background and to allow others to appear as the leaders when the annapolis convention assembled for example he suffered alexander hamilton of new york to play the leading role hamilton was then approaching thirty years of age and was one of the ablest men in the united states though his best work was done in later years when he proved himself to be perhaps the most brilliant of american statesmen with an extraordinary genius for administrative organization the part that he took in the affairs of this period was important he was small and slight in person but with an expressive face fair complexion and cheeks of almost feminine rosiness the usual aspect of the, his countenance was thoughtful and even severe but in conversation his face lighted up with a remarkably attractive smile he carried himself erectly and with dignity so that in spite of his small figure when he entered a room it was apparent from the respectful attention of the company that he was a distinguished person a contemporary speaking of the opposite and almost irreconcilable traits of hamilton's character pronounced the bust of him as giving a complete exposition of his character draw a handkerchief around the mouth of the bust and the remnant of the countenance represents fortitude and intrepidity such as we have often seen in the plates of roman heroes veil in the same manner the face and leave the mouth and chin only discernible and all this fortitude melts and vanishes into almost feminine softness hamilton was a leading spirit in the annapolis trade convention and wrote the report that it adopted whether or not there is any truth in the assertion of the french charge that hamilton and others thought it advisable to disguise their purposes there is no doubt that the annapolis convention was an all-important step in the progress of reform and its recommendation was the direct occasion for the calling of the great convention that framed the constitution of the united states the recommendation of the annapolis delegates was in the form of a report to the legislatures of their respective states in which they referred to the defects in the federal government and called for a convention of deputies from the different states for the special purpose of entering into this investigation and digesting a plan for supplying such defects philadelphia was suggested as the place of meeting and the time was fixed for the second monday of may of the next year several other states acted promptly upon this recommendation and in february seventeen eighty seven congress adopted a resolution accepting the proposal and calling the convention for the sole and express purpose of revising the articles of confederation and reporting such alterations as shall render the federal constitution adequate to the exigencies of government and the preservation of the union before the time fixed for the meeting of the philadelphia convention or shortly after that date all the states had appointed deputies with the exception of new hampshire and rhode island new hampshire was favorably disposed toward the meeting but owing to local conditions failed to act before the convention was well under way delegates however arrived in time to share in some of the most important proceedings rhode island alone refused to take part although a letter signed by some of the prominent men 
was sent to the convention pledging their support End of chapter five